Today's Bible verse comes from 2 Samuel chapter 9. And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul, whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul, that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. Then king David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan, and I will restore you, to, restore to you all the land of Saul your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, all that belong to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Alex. I'm glad he had to read that passage with those tough names, not me, so... Let's pray for our children before they uh, go to their service. Father, we thank you once again for this time. We're just so thankful for the opportunity to come to worship you, Lord. And uh, as we begin our worship, Lord, we send our children. Uh, we pray, God, that you will be with them. You will bless them in their young mind and the young hearts, Lord. That you would speak to them in a way that they could understand. That they would truly have genuine faith to know you and to love you, Lord. Be with them and be with us. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our children teachers. So I'm assuming most of you all know we had a singles, young adult, not singles, I'm sorry, young adult ministry uh, retreat this past weekend. Our guest speaker was Pastor Jung Lee, who's our speaker for today, and I had the opportunity to introduce him to you. Uh, I have known Pastor Jung for many years. Uh, he actually, he and I, different times, but uh, he's a few years younger than I, but he went, we went to the same high school back in Chicago. And so he went to University of Illinois and is a uh, went to CFC, uh, Covenant Fellowship Church, and then after he graduated, he went to Biblical Seminary and then came back to CFC. It was served as an assistant pastor for several years, and approximately 10 years ago, uh, him and his wife, uh, Christine, who is, ironically, I've known Christine since she was in high school. <laughs> she was in my youth group back then, but anyway, so Christine and his uh, four children, four sons, God bless him, four sons, uh, uh, all between the age of 15 and 9, so it's a very excited, you know, home. But anyway, so they're in uh, Minnesota, uh, Minneapolis, uh, 
doing ministry up there for the past 10 years. So it is my uh, great privilege and blessing to have him to come speak to us today. So without further ado, Pastor Chung. You're falling asleep. But I guess it's okay. This this lighting is very uh, romantic, ideal to fall in love with Jesus. <laughs> uh, okay, now I can see you, sort of. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, we can skip the slides where the, I have the verses in the beginning, but we already read the passage. The title is, You Will Always Eat at My Table. Uh, it was a pleasure being at the retreat with you. Um, hopefully, it was a benefit for us all spiritually. You're part of the retreat, and um, it was great. My, it was my first time. This is actually my first time in Dallas, um, and uh, it was a, a great time experiencing all the rain, the constant clouds. So, um, only time I went to Seattle, people were telling me, oh, it's so beautiful in Seattle. And then it was raining the entire time. I couldn't even see that that needle thing, um, but but I got to come back here to Dallas and experience sunshine and all the um, beautiful things like Southern barbecue that that you have that we don't have. Okay, uh, let me pray and then we'll talk about this text. Father, we thank you that we can come before your word, the, the privilege that it is that we can um, hear your word and changed by the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, using the word of God in our hearts to make us more like Christ, to make us your ambassadors in this world. We pray that you would do that, um, help us to even uh, one degree closer to Christ, that we might represent you well in this world. Thank you, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, well, this one time I was talking to a guy at our church who at that job, his job, at that time, his job was selling women's shoes at a department store. And he was sharing with me how challenging that job is because he says, he said, you need a particular set of skills to do that job well. So you have to be friendly, you have to be good at small talk, and you have, to, he said, you have to flatter without being pretentious. It's a fine line, you gotta flatter without being pretentious. And he says, some people, some of his coworkers are so good at it that women come in just thinking they're gonna like browse around, not planning to buy anything, then they end up leaving with thousands of dollars worth of shoes because of the salesman that did his job well. And he was sharing me, with me how difficult it is for him, like how he's not like that, he's very quiet, very shy, he said it's like so hard for him uh, in his job because <laughs> he can't do that small talk and things like that. Um, I bring that up because, uh, actually, this story has nothing to do with the sermon, but I bring that up because I often feel like that when I step up to preach a sermon. Because many people, I realize, come to church with an attitude that really, like, there's really nothing for me here. <laughs> and I often feel like a salesman trying to convince people, like, not to zone out or to actually listen to a sermon. It's kind of different here, like guest speaker, like you're kind of interested to hear what I have to say. But if I'm in my church, they hear me every week, kind of convince them like that in the beginning of the sermon. But whenever I feel like that, I'm reminded of what my, one of my seminary professors, my preaching professor said, 
He said once in a while when he preaches to his congregation, he reminds them of what this time is. He, he, he does exactly this, just reminds them of what this time is, that it's a time when the almighty God is speaking his word to his people. So that means it really doesn't matter. Some human elements really doesn't matter like uh, who the speaker is how interesting he is, how funny he is, or how boring he is. Basically, trying to remind them that our attitude cannot be like a person eye shopping at a shoe store. He said he reminds his church that the things that we hear on Sunday morning are not options to consider, but commands to obey. So again, nothing to do with the sermon, but I just thought I'd share that. so that you can have that attitude for the rest of your life whenever you sit in front of God's word. Okay, so first, uh, in the text, we want to think about David's covenant kindness. David's covenant kindness. Again, in verse 1, it says, David said, Is there anyone, is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And the king, uh, and, the, and that's repeated again in verse 3. And the king said, Is there not anyone, is there still? Is there not still someone in the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Um, You see, Israel's king was supposed to reign in accordance with the Lord's covenant as an extension of God's hand over his people. That was the role of Israel's king. In the way that God would rule over his people, this is like a human representation of God as God's covenantal king, ruling in a way that God would rule over his people. So David's kingship in many ways represents God and his character and how he treats his people. And we see an example of that here in this passage. Some time had passed since David became king and he remembers the house of Saul. Is there not still anyone, someone of the house of Saul that I may show, he says, the kindness of God to him in verse 3. So as Israel's king, David again here is representing God, demonstrating the character of God. I want to show the kindness of God. In fact, that word kindness is a Hebrew word, hesed, which is often used of God. It's God's steadfast love, unfailing love, a a love that's based on a covenant that does not depend on the object of that love, but it still seeks the good, the interest of the object of love. David is representing God's kindness. Now this kindness is a covenant kindness here because back in 1 Samuel chapter 20, David made a covenant with Jonathan. 1 Samuel chapter 20 verse 14, if I'm still alive, First Samuel chapter 20, verse 14. Okay. If I'm still alive, show me the covenant, show me the steadfast love of the Lord. And this is Jonathan speaking, that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever. And the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David. So this conversation took place between David and Saul's son, Jonathan, while Saul was still king. 
Jonathan knew that the Lord chose David to be king after his father Saul, so he intercedes now on behalf of his house. He says, after you become king, show me the steadfast love of the Lord. Again, that word, hesed, kindness. Show me the kindness of God by sparing my, my house. And that is why in 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1, David says, next slide. That's why David says, is there still anyone left the house of Saul that I may show the kindness, show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? It means that the kindness Mephibosheth receives is independent of himself, right? It's because of Jonathan. It was based on a covenant made on his behalf even before he was born. And that's also why in this verse, David says, is there still anyone, anyone, didn't matter who, is there anyone left of the house of Saul? In, re in response to this question, Ziba says, yes, there is this one guy, but he's crippled. And to that, David does not say, oh, he's crippled, is there anyone else? Does not say that, rather he says, where is he? Because it didn't matter who it was. He wasn't showing God's kindness his love based on the person's worthiness to receive it. Even a cripple can receive his kindness because it's for Jonathan's sake. It was a love that was already mediated for him on his behalf by another. And that's the nature of the steadfast love of the Lord, the covenant kindness of God. God's love comes to us not because of who we are, not because of anything we have done or anything we're doing now or anything we can do in the future. It's because of Jesus Christ. That's what 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9 says. God saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. This means that the love that we receive from God in the same way was mediated for us on our behalf by another, just like Mephibosheth. It has nothing to do with who we are or what we can bring to God. It's because of Jesus. And even though we know this, we know this. If you've been to church long enough and you heard the gospel, we know this. It's hard for us to understand this because no other love in this world works like this. There's a conditional element to all human love, even the best human love based on what we can do and how we look. And, but God's love is different. It's simply because of Jesus. If you remember one of Bruno Mars' big songs back in the day, it's called Just the Way You Are. There's probably an age range here in this room, so I don't know how old you were when that song was big. I'm sure you remember because it was so popular. The song basically is about a guy who's totally captivated by a woman's beauty. So he starts, basically the song is him singing about her physical features, right? He goes, oh, her eyes, her eyes. Make the stars look like they're not shining, right? So he's saying like her eyes are so beautiful. They sparkle so much like compared to her eyes, like the stars looked them. Even the stars looked them. 
which is a total lie. They're so beautiful, her eyes, her eyes. And then he goes, oh, her hair, her hair falls perfectly without her trying. Has that ever happened to you, right? Has that ever happened in a fallen world? Again, another lie. <laughs> oh, she's so beautiful, and I, I tell her every day. <laughs> I, I, I can't even read these lyrics without laughing. After he sings about her eyes, her hair, her lips, and then he says, oh, you know, you know, you know, I'd never ask you to change. If perfect's what you're searching for, then just stay the same. And in the chorus, you know, the popular chorus, when I see your face, there's not a, there's not a thing that I would change because you're amazing just the way you are. When I see your face, there's not a single thing that I would change because you're amazing just the way you are. The way you are, the way you are, yeah, the way you are. So, I mean, I can see why this song was so popular. Because a girl who hears these words from a guy who she, like, even remotely has a crush on would totally melt in her heart. Right? Wow, really? Really? You really think I'm perfect? There's not a single thing that you would change about this face? <laughs> really? But if you think carefully about this, the lyrics of the song, the love that this man is declaring to this girl is so conditional, right? I love you, he's saying, because of the way you look. That's, that's like totally a conditional love. So what happens when her face changes? You know, like time happens gravity <laughs> takes over what happens in 10 years when her eyes do make the stars look like they're shining <laughs> uh, and that's the thing no matter how a person is captivated or declares their love in this world there's a conditional element to everything every human love but you see, God comes to us and says, he basically says, when I see your face, there's, there, there are actually a million things that I would change. You're definitely not amazing just the way you are, but I still love you just the way you are because he sees Jesus when he sees us. That is the nature of God's covenant kindness, his steadfast love. His steadfast love is steadfast because he sees Jesus when he sees you. Because it's a mediated love. Because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross on our behalf. David's covenant kindness. Secondly, the mismatch of kindness. The mismatch of kindness. Goes on in verse 5. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Mekir, son of Emil. So he has him brought, and this is actually not the first time we're introduced to Mephibosheth, because back in chapter 4, we read about Mephibosheth, chapter 4, verse 4. Jonathan, son of Saul, had a son who was crippled in his feet. 
He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel, and his nurse took him up and fled, and as she fled in her haste, he fell and became lame, and his name was Mephibosheth. I think the author's intent in chapter 4 in bringing Mephibosheth up seems to be to say that Mephibosheth was no threat to David to compete for the throne because he was crippled. And it seems like that's the identity that's followed him his whole life. Because the first time he's referred to in 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 3, Ziba said to the king, there's still a son of Jonathan, semicolon, he is crippled in his feet. There's still a son of Jonathan, doesn't even mention his name, he's a cripple. Ziba seems to be saying, yes, there is, there is someone in the line of Jonathan, but he's crippled and that's all you need to know about him. Um, if, you, if you see verse 6, um, I think you got to go back two slides. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David, fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, Behold, I'm your servant. So not only is he crippled, but Mephibosheth himself knows who he is, that he's a descendant of the previous king, which typically makes him the enemy of the present king. So Mephibosheth comes to David basically expecting to die. That's why the first thing David says to Mephibosheth is, fast forward two slides, David said to him, do not fear. Mephibosheth is a cripple, nobody, enemy of the king. Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And in contrast to Mephibosheth, David, at this time, is arguably the most powerful man in the ancient world. The previous chapter is a list of David's military conquests because the Lord gave David victory wherever he went, fulfilling the Lord's promise to David that he will make David's name great. So there was no name greater than David's at this time. So the great King David condescends to the crippled enemy and says, I will show you kindness. I think the, the visual picture of verse 7 is something that we should keep in mind because that is the picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, King of kings, Lord of lords, condescends to show love to sinners, the enemies of God, undeserving, wretched sinners such as us. A couple months ago, we got a this cute, small, black hamster for our youngest, Ezra's, birthday. Paid 12 whole dollars at the pet store. Ezra named her Coco. And, uh, I mean, it wasn't, like, too crazy. But, you know, I mean, he just pretty much, like, looked at it once in a while, pet it once in a while. But I'm the one that had to, like, clean out the cage and smell the nasty stuff and things like that. Um, we had the hamster had been about maybe three weeks. And then one day, woke up, and we saw that the hamster had this, this reddish, it's kind of like a reddish 
thing about like two, maybe two inches long, basically something sticking out of its butt. So I told Christina about it, she Googled it, and it turns out it's the hamster's insides that came out for some unknown reason. And she said, uh, it's probably going to die. From what she read, she read that some people said the hamster might make it if the hamster has surgery. But even in that case, like best possible scenario, you take it to a vet and the hamster has surgery. Even in that case, it's unlikely, she says, it's probably going to die. So I received that information from her, and I wondered, what should I do? Pay 12 whole dollars for this unfortunate animal that basically pooped its own intestines out of its butt. So should I spend another couple hundred dollars hoping, you know, to save this animal's life? Prayed about it. <laughs> Fasted. For a few minutes and uh, you know it was a difficult decision but I basically decided to let God have her now so you if you ask me do I feel bad about it a little bit you know it's like a living creature it's like Ezra's pet but <laughs> if you press me would I do anything differently honestly no I still let God take her Hope doesn't, that doesn't offend any of you. Like, I don't know, like, who's in the congregation, animal lovers. You know, usually you got to be careful when, you, when pastors say things like that these days. You never know who's there listening. Get emails, all kinds of things. It's okay. I'm a guest speaker. <laughs> Why? Why would I not do anything different? Because to me, to be honest, like, it's just a hamster. It's just a hamster. And at some point, like, you got to kind of, okay, Ezra's pet, uh, you know, like you weigh options. At some point, you have to say that thing is not really that valuable enough for me to try to save it. You see, I looked at that hamster and said, not worth it. But consider this. God looked at human beings, sinners, and said, I'll save them. I have more in common with a hamster than I have in common with God. Right? Like, at least me and the hamster is like creator, uh, creature to creature. But this is the infinite creator choosing to save a finite, finite creature. God, who is of infinite worth, Gave his life for his creatures. I mean, think about that. Pause and think about that for a second. Would you, if you really could, would you give your life for a hamster? I mean, for real. Like, if, if you could spare a hamster by giving up your life, would it even be like... No, like, you'd be crazy if you did that. But God, the creator God, the almighty God, of infinite worth, infinite value, gave his life for his creatures, sinners, the enemies of God, 
while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Such is the amazing kindness of God, the steadfast love of the Lord. And that's the picture of verse 7. King David, the great King David, condescends. I will surely show you kindness. To who? No matter how low you feel or you get in this life, in this world, for those who are in Jesus Christ, you can never be that low because you are loved by God. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, gave his life for you. He looked at you and said, worth it. Thirdly, lastly, the extent, the extent of kindness. Um, again, verse 7, uh, second half, it says, And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. So in terms of what David actually does for Mephibosheth, David gives him two things. I will restore to you all the land, right, the land of Saul, your father. So he gets the property that the former king owned, and David calls Ziba, Saul's servant, and tells him that Mephibosheth is now his new master. So Ziba, with his 15 sons, 20 servants, are ordered to take care of the land from Mephibosheth, the land. And secondly, you shall eat at my table always. And that phrase, you shall eat at my table always, is repeated four times in this story. And you, I don't know if you can read it, but um, I just kind of bolded that text the four times that it repeats that phrase, you shall eat at my table always. Because I think the author is emphasizing that. And David says, you shall eat at my table always. Consider the different elements of it. You shall eat at my table. Okay, so it wasn't just some other table even in the king's palace. It was an actual table where the king himself ate, my table. And then if you notice in verse 11, it adds that Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. So it's as if David was actually taking Mephibosheth into his family like one of the king's sons. And it says, you shall eat at my table always, meaning this was not a temporary arrangement. The situation was not going to change because it was an arrangement based on a covenant always. We can think of those two things that David gave to Mephibosheth as position and progression. Mephibosheth's position changed once and for all. David brought him in, treated him like a son, and that was never going to change. In addition to the positional change, there was a progressional element in that there was an arrangement to, to continually provide for Mephibosheth and his family through the land. And those are the same blessings that we have in Christ. When we trust in Jesus Christ, there's a pos positional change. The guilty become not guilty. Enemies become sons, and that position will never change in Jesus Christ. And in addition to that, there's a progressional element in that God will now continually, progressively make us more and more like his son, Jesus Christ. We also see from those two things that David gave Mephibosheth, there's a material provision and a relational provision. Materially now, Mephibosheth is set for life because of the land. In addition to that, 
David offers him a relationship. You shall always eat at my table like one of the king's sons. You can have a relationship with me. I'm taking you as, a, as my own. Come to the table with me. Dine with me every day. That means he, he can get to know the king. Mephibosheth, who he was, can now have a life completely different because of his relationship with the king. And again, those are the same blessings we have in Christ. God promises to always provide for us what we need in this world. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. He'll take care of us. In addition to that, God offers us an intimate relationship with him. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. So sinners who are the enemies of God, who have nothing to offer to God, can come and actually dine with the king of kings. You can have a relationship with the creator God. You and I can have a relationship with the almighty God. It's an open invitation to his table, anytime, any day, because now you are a child of God. Open the Bible, he says, anytime, right? It's an open invitation. Just open the Bible, and there it is, a relationship with me. You can be anywhere, anytime. Just close your eyes. I'm right there. Pray and experience a relationship with me. Can you imagine if, uh, in light of that open invitation, Mephibosheth declines the king's offer? Um, wedding season's approaching, right? There's actually a couple in our church that are supposed to get married in two weeks, but now it's postponed. Um, but suppose, I mean, think about a wedding situation where after the wedding ceremony, they go to the reception place, and the groom tries to take the bride's hand so that they can sit at the head table reserved for the bride and groom, and she refuses. <laughs> Think about that. She insists on sitting at the back table somewhere with the guests. If that ever happened, we would be asking, like, what's wrong? Did something happen? Did they fight? <laughs> because that's just, like, not normal. It'd be ridiculous if the bride refused to sit with the groom. Again, what if Mephibosheth declined David's invitation? What if he said, no, thank you. I'm, I, I, thank you, but I, I prefer to go back to Lodabar and living my miserable life. Now, neither of those situations, the wedding situation, Mephibosheth, neither of those situations are as ridiculous as when Jesus the bridegroom invites us to sit with him at his table and we say no. Come to the table. Be with me. Know me. I have so much to offer you. I have so much that I want to feed you with. And, uh, and we're like, no, uh, I prefer Facebook instead. <laughs> I prefer this and that instead. I prefer to spend time with this other person instead. Uh, we can have a love relationship with the creator of the universe. So we're to sit at the king's table as the king's sons. Um, just one more verse before we um, step away from this passage. Verse 13 is the last verse of this passage, and I find it really peculiar 
that the author wrote it like this. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table, period. Now he was lame in both his feet. I mean, I think this is a really strange way to end the story because, like, it's, we've been told that he's lame in both his feet. Like, we don't have to hear it again. So it's, it's as if, like, the author is trying to convince the reader that this actually really did happen. Because, like, you have to admit, like, this is a really pretty fantastic, ridiculous story, right? Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate at the king's table, period. <laughs> and it's like the author is saying, like, this is too unbelievable that this actually happened. And just to emphasize again that this actually happened, yes, it's true. Now he was lame in both his feet. And we have to understand, we have to admit that the gospel story is pretty ridiculous. That God can say who he is. Me, a hamster. Less than a hamster compared to God. He did that for me. And it's true. And you cannot like say it enough for us to for us to get it because we really don't get it. It's true that it really did happen. Jesus actually did that for me. Such is the amazing, steadfast, unchanging covenant love of God for me. Um, I was playing basketball one time at the YMCA, and I saw something totally shocking that I will share with, with, with you now so that you can be shocked too. Uh, so I mentioned at the retreat, we play shirts and skins. Our team that day was, we were playing shirts. We, we had our shirts on. And uh, we had already played about an hour at this point. One guy on my team had to leave. So at that point, like, he was all sweaty already. Like, so his shirt was soaked. He happened to be wearing a gray shirt. And you know what happens to gray shirts when you get sweat on them? So basically, if you can picture this in your mind, the top half of his shirt was dark gray. It, like, it, not just spots here and there. It was, like, completely drenched. The top, literally, top half completely soaked, dark gray. And the bottom half is the light gray, normal, dry color. Okay? That's what he looked like. So he had to go, and another guy came in to take his place, but this guy that came in did not have a shirt. He walked into the gym shirtless because I guess he was planning to play on the skins team, but he had to come in as a shirt. So the guy who was leaving offered him his sweaty shirt. I heard them talk. He goes, you want it? Are you sure? And the guy goes, yeah, I don't care. So the first guy gave him the shirt and left, and the second guy put on that wet shirt on his dry body. I imagine they must be really good friends. So I stood there witnessing this exchange. And in my mind, I was like, no way. I saw him put it on. I was like so grossed out. I'm like, no way. For real? So disgusted. I mean, I guess the guy was thinking, oh, like, 
He was probably thinking, oh, I'm going to sweat anyway. His sweat, my sweat, what's the big difference? I guess that's what, but still, so gross. Seeing that made me think about this. What did, what did Jesus experience when he clothed himself in our sins? Like, what did he experience? It's not like he was going to sin anyway. He knew no sin. Even since the, the beginning of time, from eternity, he knew no sin. Perfectly righteous, perfect obedience to the Father, yet clothed in humanity's sin. Was it uncomfortable for him? Did it feel strange to him? I mean, just how vile was man's sin to the sinless Christ on the cross? We can't even begin to fathom what he experienced on the cross. But because Jesus did that, because he put on that shirt, now there's forgiveness offered to sinners. The enemies of God can become the sons of God. And that is the message. That is the unfathomable ridiculousness, the ridiculous message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is why no matter how low I get in this world, no matter how low I feel, I'm not. The foundation of my lowness is the rock-solid foundation of this amazing love of God for me in Jesus Christ. May that be the truth that we cherish within our hearts so that we can live for God, love God, cherish God, come to the table, dine with him every single day, experience a relationship with him so that his purposes in our lives can grow and be accomplished progressively so that we can serve God in all that we do and represent him in this world. Let's pray together. Before we wrap up our time together, I just want to ask you to consider what you heard this morning with an attitude of not uh, eye shopping at a shoe store, but this is the almighty God, the God of the universe, speaking to me. This is his word that he wants to give to me. It's as if God is here speaking directly to me, saying, do you know that I love you like this? Do you know that th these are the sacrifices the cost that I pay to love you like this? And uh, let's believe that within our hearts. And may the, the gospel of Jesus Christ be the very foundation of why we do anything and everything in this world. Perhaps we can even make a few small commitments. God, it's been a while. 
I've been kind of away from the table. I've been opting for a lot of other things, but I want to come to the table again. I want to dine with you. I want to grow in my relationship with you. More than anything else, that's the thing that I want to treasure most, that I can actually have a love relationship with the King of Kings. So let's just pray for a moment. Relationship with the Lord.